Everybody, 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 drop your Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I am Evan Ross Katz. And today we are talking about Survivor 41, Episode 8, Betrayedar. Before we get into the episode, Evan, I just want to touch on something that happened last week, which is that Sydney got eliminated. And after we recorded our episode, she went on her barn burning tour, her exit (laughs) press tour. And, uh, you know, there's usually not a whole lot to say about Exit Press. There's We got a little detail here and there. But, wow, did Sydney come out guns a-blazing in her Exit Press? I mean, like, really in every single interview she gave that I saw, there was something. There was something. Yeah, I, I know you I read a couple or listened. Both. I, I was only going to listen to one, and then it sort of, you know, you, uh, the barn-burning <laughs> nature led me to seek out other barns. Um but I just want to like kind of reveal a little bit of like how the sauce is made, having worked a little bit on Drag Race Exit Press. We're sort of given do not talk about points. And one of the big ones is usually like we cannot discuss any aspect of the game that was not seen on the show. Mm. Obviously, I realize Drag Race and Survivor are not the same show. But one thing I was really struck by in Sydney's exit interview is how revealing she was about aspects of what made it into the final edit um, and sort of like depictions that sort of counter the narrative that we were shown on the show. So for instance, like the... um, uh, or this one, I guess, is more in line, but like, the, for instance, Danny being really frustrated about mm-hmm. the uh, reversal of time. I guess they did show that a little bit, but Sydney basically just portrayed how angry she and many of the others were about that, and not like in a diplomatic way, but in a truly like "fuck you, survivor" way. Um, her just her candor was so raw and emotional, and it's a reminder that you know. This was filmed months ago, but the emotions can come back very quickly once I or I imagine once you're watching it live and you see other people reacting to it. But yeah, explosive. Yeah. Uh, if if anybody wants to get a sense for her exit interviews, if you haven't seen them yet, there's a great print interview uh, in Entertainment Weekly as well as in Parade. But if you want to hear her speak, you can listen to the Rob Has a Podcast exit interview from last week. It was just like riveting. It was 15 minutes of riveting listening. Truly. And the amount of swear words that she was able to manage to, to utter in that 15 minutes is quite remarkable. Also, I think it's worth listening to these exit interviews sometimes just to get a sense because we see so little of Uvu in particular this season. It's really hard to know. Like, and you know, for instance, we didn't get a, a standard merge feast. It's hard to sort of know some of the cross tribal relationships, even like mm-hmm. just gameplay aside. So it was nice to hear Sydney talk about, um, I know in particular, Tiff someone that we'd only see her inter- we'd seen her interact with one time earlier in the season when they were off on, on an advantage but we come to find out they actually had a pretty tight bond uh, once they had merged into one tribe which we didn't really see depicted in the edit at all so I think one of the advantages of the exit interviews is just kind of learning more about what really went on on the beach not on a gameplay level just on an interpersonal level 
Yeah. And you mentioned the things that she said about Danny being pissed off about the twist. And I just want to highlight one. So uh, at one point, she says that it's not even a twist. It's a lie. We were told one thing and something else happened, right? Okay, so we talked about that a lot last week. But in uh, her interview with TV line, she said, Danny basically reamed Jeff out. He was like, this isn't a twist. This is a lie. You told us that if we won challenges, we would get immunity. And there was a long conversation about it. And Jeff was like, okay, well, maybe I can make it better in future seasons. What can I change? And I was thinking, really, bro? I don't want to change to benefit someone else. I don't fucking know because I don't have empathy for them. What the hell do I care? This is about the now and it's about me getting fucked over. So I like, yeah, to your point, I'm surprised that they're allowed to be so candid about, first of all, like what happened with Jeff and that the contestants are getting mad at Jeff because Jeff has this, you know, like God complex on the show. And I'm surprised that they let the contestants go out there and just like reveal all pull back the curtain on Jeff. Me too. Me too. And I've had instances on Drag Race because typically the network is also on the line during these interviews. Again, I don't know how it works with Survivor, but I do imagine there is some someone from the network there to sort of monitor the conversation. And in the past, when similar things have happened, I'll get a phone call after the fact because my interviews that I was doing were written pieces. But I would get a call after the fact asking for a certain chunk to be removed. And it's sort of the onus is on you to remove it in order to maintain the relationship with mm. the network. Um, otherwise, they're going to feel less incentivized to give you access down the line. So what surprised me is not that Sydney said these things in her exit interview, um, but more that they made it to air uh, or into the written pieces that she did. So it, it is interesting because I feel like the show goes out of its way to portray Jeff positively. Um and it's interesting to watch a player in the game in real time sort of blow up Jeff's spot. Yeah, yeah. Okay, enough about Sydney. That is ancient history now. We're going to get into the episode eight recap. High level thoughts. Evan, what did you think of the episode? So quickly, I would just say, like, I think that if you are someone who comes to Survivor season 41 uh, looking for chaos, uh, this is an excellent episode, you know, just in terms of like things really blowing up and not knowing who was going home and the vote seeming to shift at the last minute and live tribal, etc. If you're someone that comes for more of the um, the human stories and the tribal dynamics that are less gameplay oriented, this was a little sort of like a lot happening with, in my mind, very little reward in the end. I felt like you the Tiffany vote was inevitable uh, from early on in the episode. Um, some fun twists and turns and just really refreshing to see uh, a character named Heather emerge uh, onto the scene in episode eight. So uh, I would say entertaining, but uh, strategically a little all over the place, but I had a good time. How about you? Yeah, uh, I think I would describe it maybe a little bit different because I actually thought that this, I really enjoyed the episode. I actually thought the reason I enjoyed it uh, had nothing to do with the strategy, but it was that for the first time, and it felt like a long time, we got a lot of interpersonal drama and personality-driven storylines. So for example, Papaya Gate, which we will talk about. Uh, there's sort of like a throwaway comment about Shan wanting to keep Nasir because he's providing for the tribe. When is the last time we heard something like that? Um, and then the whole Deshaun versus Shan communication issue. I felt like although some of those things were related to strategy, it was 
really about the personalities on the island clashing or interacting with each other in a way that is informing where those people land in terms of the dynamic of the tribe. And so for me, it felt like I felt like I learned a bit about who these people are uh, outside of just being pieces on a chessboard. Can I ask a question about like when, you, when we say that he's <clears throat> providing for the tribe in this season. So it's my understanding that they do not have fishing supplies because they were not given them and have not won them yet, correct? Yeah, they did win them. They did? Mm-hmm. Do okay, you remember so then, when Ua had the the uh, Nathan come to the camp to teach them how to uh, live off yes, the land? Yes, yes, Luvu yes, yes, won yes. a fishing spear. Remember, okay. uh, Sydney went fishing. She caught right, some right, right. fish with her fishing right. spear, allegedly. I guess my question is, uh, when you, you have this many people left in the game and someone is the provider, and, and you have players like Evie, for instance, uh, that are so studied at this game, I guess I have a hard time with the understanding that like only one person amongst these players mm-hmm. 41 seasons into a game, which is called Survivor, in which you know you're going to be on a deserted island and there are literally like the means for food are quite obvious, even if you've never played the game before. Um, it's odd to me the fact that someone, a reason to keep someone in the game with this many numbers left would be, especially someone that has an idol, would be that they are a provider. I just feel like you wouldn't there be many providers that's that's just one thing that i was sort of like caught by um because they sort of portrayed it as like nasir is the provider um Mm. but i have to imagine others are either providing as well if not putting in an effort to try and provide maybe he provides the most you would think that someone else could do it and that's what i've always thought when this sort of storyline comes up like how hard is it to go get a coconut I, fig- yeah. I figure if anybody puts the effort in, they could do it. But if that's something that Nasir likes to do and is right. very good at in like an Aussie sort of way, right. uh, then, and that is what we saw. Like, we don't actually know that much about Nasir, but we ha- we did see at the Luvu camp in the early episodes, they were sort of flip-flopping on Nasir because although he was causing strategic chaos by sort of throwing Danny and Deshaun under the bus that they were looking for an idol, blah, 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 uh, they said, I think Sydney specifically said, Actually, we need to keep him around because he's really good at like finding food, you know, preparing food. And it's it's a big advantage for our tribe. In my mind, though, if I were playing with Nasir, I would be the person that would want to go out with him and learn from him how to Mm -hmm. get the food that he's getting and then knock him out. I just feel like there's a strategy one can play to take down the provider. I feel like the keeping him around again, especially with the idol, it's like. Uh, take everything you can from him and then chop him. I feel like that's, yeah. I guess that's just the strategy I would deploy. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But this is exactly like, I love that we can have this conversation because so often it's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter that he's providing, we're just going to get rid of him because he's the next one on the chopping block. Like, I like that it's coming into play, you know? Totally. Okay, so let's get into it. So it's uh, day 15. It's the day after the Sydney vote out. And Yasa is falling apart at the via Kana tribe so we have a tribe name now uh we didn't see them come up with the tribe name we didn't see them paint a flag i did happen to see right before we recorded this that there's a secret scene released for this episode which is them coming up with the merge tribe name and painting the flag uh, erica came up with the name it means hungry in fijian uh, so it's like a little bit disappointing that we don't get that in the show it's just a sort of another example that survivor doesn't really care about the uh, ritual or tradition of the show anymore. But, you know, I understand. It's just a little weird for a viewing audience to suddenly see Via Kana Tribe. And we're like, what? Since when? Uh, but anyways, we are at the Via Kana Tribe. 
Uh, Yas is falling apart. Liana uh, says that she got survivored, uh, which she says uh, it can be used as a verb now, although she doesn't actually use it as a verb. Um, <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> that was very funny. Yeah, Liana, look, God bless her. She's not the, the smartest person on the island right now. Uh, she, so she wasted her knowledge's power advantage, right? So she's a little worked up about that. Evie, meanwhile, is on a relationship recovery tour, and Tiffany and Xander are pitching themselves as free agents with uh, with no allegiance to the old Yasa and just sort of like going around to everyone saying, use me, please use me. Like, I'm ready. I'm just a free vote for you. Uh, but Deshaun isn't buying it, and he says he wants that Yasa 3 of Tiffany, Xander, and... Evie to go one by one. Well, this is the tough thing about so many of the, the strategic conversations that were taking place in this episode is they don't need any of them. There's no such thing as needing a vote right now because outside mm-hmm. of the fact that you know you have a solid four uh, with Shan, Liana, uh, Deshaun, and Danny, you also have, in theory, Ricard being a fifth person in that mix because of his loyalty to Shan, and then add on Erica and Heather with with their loyalty to Uvu. So the idea that like these three could split apart and that would like strategically benefit them Deshaun kind of painted it very accurately, which is to say, like, they can just, it's less a matter of uh, who and more a matter of when with the three of them. Um, mm-hmm. So them scrambling to sort of take the target and say, I'm a vote, we, we don't need your vote. So I guess I do wonder how much at this point is the foursome a known entity? Like, mm. uh, you know, we're, we're seeing all of their conversations, but I guess what I could have used more of is an understanding of if you're Evie's, if you're Evie, for instance, or you're Tiffany and you're going and saying you can use me for a vote, who are they imagining that that vote is knocking out, right? Like, because it seems like there's like one big alliance and then three people on the outside. So... I, my sense was that like Evie was trying to position it of like you can take out Xander or Tiffany and use me as a vote, but Evie's smart enough to know that if that were what they were gunning for, they don't need their vote. So, yeah, did you have any thoughts about that? I was just kind of confused about like wh- where they were trying to angle themselves. Yeah, I don't think that people know about the four. That's the sense that I'm getting. Got it. And I am not even sure after watching this episode where the four stands with each other because when you That's look true. at Papaya Gate, Shan said once again, Ricard is my number one. If Ricard is Shan's number one, what does that mean for the four? Okay, so otherwise, the four should not be advertising to anybody or be making it clear that they are working together because it's the whole point of a secret alliance, right? And they didn't say that it's a secret alliance, but it seems to be operating as such. And so I think that what people are seeing, what uh, like Evie, Xander, and Tiffany are seeing is a huge alliance, an absolutely huge alliance that is made up of everybody except them. And that surely there has to be people who feel like they're at the bottom of that alliance and might want to flip on it, uh, which would be the smart move. And it's really the way that Survivor has been played for like the last 10 years. So I think they're just looking for who that person is. It was interesting that we saw them all go to Deshaun as potentially that person, although we did see them go to others, but it felt like there was a lot of focus on Deshaun. And I wonder what's going on at camp that is leading them to believe that they may have a chance with Deshaun. 
Right. And I do think this is one of those uh, points to sort of talk about the uh, the time of the season being shrunk down to 26 days, because in situations like this, where you come out of the last tribal and you are Evie and Tiffany in particular, but also Xander, and you're trying to have rebuilding conversations, I think being that I think typically there's, you know, there'd be what, two or three days between before the next tribal, whereas now mm-hmm. there's maybe one or two. I don't know the, the specifics, but we know it's shrunken down significantly. And I think that when it comes to relationship repairing, uh, a lot of that is is more time than it is, you know, a single conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is one of the ways we can really see the shrunken season impacting the game as much as they're trying to make it like the shrunken season makes it harder physically and less food i actually think that they could lean into the fact that it's just harder to strategize and harder because wounds have less time to heal and so i think that was one of the things i came away with is i just feel like a lot of the feelings from that very explosive last tribal are probably still very raw yeah i agree with you Let's go over to the reward challenge where Jeff is breaking the fourth wall to hide an advantage under the sit-out bench at the reward challenge. So this is very similar to, I think, in Game Changers when uh, Michaela was on the sit-out bench and there was a huge tube that said secret advantage on the side under the bench, but Michaela was too worked up uh, watching the challenge to find it and Sarah Lucina saw it from across the way, swam over to the sit-out bench and grabbed it without anybody kind of realizing. Uh, Sort of stole it right from under Michaela's nose. So it was similar to that, uh, but the advantage was much, much smaller, a little bit more hard to find. uh, And so Jeff's hiding it. Like, I do not need another advantage like I think we've had enough Jeff I can't imagine what was in that of course we didn't see it which we'll get to but uh, wow Uh, I mean it was kind of like if this is if this is the kind of breaking the fourth wall Jeff's gonna do I don't mind this so much uh, especially when it doesn't pan out I kind of like to see that Uh, but I, I don't I don't need another advantage yeah I didn't mind it at all I guess my question would be what is Jeff suddenly talking to us, the audience, after 40 seasons adding? You know, uh, mm-hmm. similar to the Mike White question of like, is it fun? I think there's another question, which is like, if we're going to make a switch up to the format, what is it adding? And in the, in the case of changing come on in from come, or excuse me, come on in you guys to come on in, there's a justification, right? Certain audience members felt a certain kind of way about it. And so this is in reaction to audience members. Is there an audience out there that said, God, I just, I'm at home watching and I feel like Jeff is ignoring me, you know? So I guess I just wonder, it's not that I don't like it. I think like this instance worked better than some of the other ones Mm -hmm. we've seen, but I guess I just wonder like, what is the point? Yeah, there is no point. It's a vanity (laughs) project for Jeff. There is no fight club. (laughs) So the players come into the challenge arena and they are told that they're going to be split into two teams of five uh, using a rock draw and that one person will not be put on a team. They will be sitting out because their rock will be whatever, white or something. So uh, Jeff also uh, is using his unhinged challenge voice and he tells them that the winners are going to get grilled cheese and the losers are going to get the smell of grilled cheese back at camp. Yeah, we need to talk about that. It's wild. I, I, okay. Can we decide right now after the season airs, can we go back and do an episode about Jeff's behavior in season 41? <laughs> Absolutely. Cause I think that needs its own. So we'll do like a larger conversation later, but like I can't watch moments like that and not audibly cringe 
because it's deranged. It's deranged. I, I guess I have nothing more to say besides that. I, I, I <laughs> that was just like, such a weird moment. He's so weird. And the thing, okay, this is the thing. He's not a weirdo. So when he does weird things, it's all the more weird because like RuPaul, for instance, on Drag Race, I'm making a lot of comparisons to Drag Race today, but like we know RuPaul to be like this person who can camp it up, but Jeff's not like, he's not being campy. He's He's being earnest in that moment, mm-hmm. and I think that's what makes it so deranged. If he was doing more of a bit, I would be like, okay, let's try this out. But Jeff's just saying something with his version of enthusiasm. I don't get it. Weird. Like, weirdo. the funny thing is, I mean, it's funny that the reward is grilled cheese. Like, that is, right. it's a joke, right? It's comedic. And Jeff doesn't see that jeff thinks it's a good thing like they are being they are grown ass people who are starving to death and they are getting a lunch fit for a seven-year-old right like and i like that i like that that is the reward i really enjoy that and jeff is acting like this is the great like they're getting steak and potatoes like right grilled cheese like no we should be like you're getting grilled cheese lol yeah Yeah, exactly and you're gonna like work your ass off for it and like it's not gonna be that good (laughs) it's gonna be cold grilled cheese back at camp true weirdo behavior but it is one of those moments where it's like i can't i I tried to watch it and i was i knew he was something was coming because i you know and i and i can't help but just be like i i hate it i hate it i hate it i hate it i'm a hater it's not even the last it's not even the end of it Okay, so yeah. they draw the rocks. Very weirdly, the teams get divided up into almost the same teams that they played in for the merge challenge. Right. This reminded me, it's happened on several seasons, but the one that I thought of was on All Stars, uh, where they tried yes. to shake up the tribes and it was everyone, yes. but everyone stayed the same except for Amber. Yeah. But I guess my question with this is why do you think, and, and Billy, my boyfriend, pointed this out while we were watching it, why do you think that it was pulling rocks versus a schoolyard pick? It would make way more sense uh-huh. for the person that that could potentially get the advantage to be the person that was, in theory, the biggest underdog amongst them because they weren't selected to play. Yeah, I don't know. I think Jeff is really focused on this idea of chance and luck, which is what the game of Survivor is becoming, which I But it's hate. like if Shan were to have not gotten selected and Shan goes over and finds it and gets another advantage, I feel like it's just like you don't – I feel like if you're production, you don't want one of the people that's currently at the top to have more ammunition or you run into like a Ben situation on Heroes versus Hustlers – versus whatever uh in which it's just like okay this person has so much artillery that they no longer need to play the game well the thing is it would have been heather that doesn't get picked and no, would no, heather yeah, have yeah. even thought to look i don't know but oh i see what you're saying because if it's random then shan can go exactly i'm saying if right. it was random yeah. like they got lucky in that it was erica someone yes. who ostensibly could have used the advantage but there was just the potential that someone that already has a huge advantage gets even more advantages Yeah. And it's just another example of the fact that uh, human interaction and social, uh, uh, the implications of your social game really mean nothing. Because if it was a schoolyard pick, you'd probably pick people that you're aligned with that you would like to share a reward with. And we're just not getting that anymore. And so 
it's like so now we have these random teams i'm supposed to root for one like and who's rooting for a team in this scenario you you, you can't really uh, exactly whereas and if, and if they you... were picking and and if they were picking based on their friendships and loyalties you start to get a little bit of a public breakdown of where people land which would be really helpful not only uh, for them in the game, but for us as the viewers to sort yeah. of understand who, you know, who's peacocking for one another. So we see that Erica gets the odd rock out and she can't believe it because she this just happened to her. Uh, it turned out to work out pretty well for her last time. So I don't know why she's upset in this case. I guess she really wanted the grilled cheese sandwiches. But luckily for her, Xander decides, hey, I want to switch places with Erica. Yes. This frustrates me. Like, I actually got mad watching the episode because if we're doing a rock pick, a rock mm-hmm. draw, the results should stand from the rock draw. You can't just ch- make up rules. Like, the whole point of the rock draw is that it's random. If they wanted to just say, hey, anybody want to sit out? And Xander puts up his hand, that's a different story. But we picked rocks and we can't just have people deciding that they're going to overrule that for the sake of overruling it. I hate that. Absolutely. And I also think that there were a couple times I felt like I needed a confessional that wasn't given to me. And this was one of them because uh, some people pointed pointed this out on Twitter. You can see Deshaun's reaction in the left side of the frame when Xander decides to do that, where he's very sort of... Uh, confused or or sort of wondering what the what the meaning is there or actually I don't even I don't know what that expression that he was giving off was my original instinct was he knows what Xander's doing he knows there's an advantage over on the bench and Xander's trying to get it but I needed to I, I don't know if that's the case I needed to know what people's reaction was to Xander making such a move that seemed very he was posturing in some way whether it be to ingratiate himself with Erica or to make himself seem like just the ultimate underdog. I'm not sure, but I I needed a little bit more explanation to Xander's uh, path. And then real quick, I thought of what I was going to say earlier. I also needed another confessional with Xander telling us whether or not he was looking for an advantage on that bench Mm -hmm. and just couldn't find one because it seems through the obvious cuts to him several times that he was looking for an advantage, but it needed that edit of like, I, I know that on Survivor, if you sitting on the bench, there's probably an advantage there, but I just couldn't find it. I felt like it missed, it was missing that beat to know whether or not Xander, to get some sense of Xander's actual reason for sitting out, which he gave us a, a reason uh, later, which is like how he wanted to be with the losing team. But I don't know. I felt like some the needle didn't feel quite threaded there. Yeah, it's like if you're making a point of having Jeff tell us about the advantage and then go after the challenge and check that the advantage is still there, like tell us what the motivation of the player who was looking for the advantage was. Right. Like the story, you forgot to finish the story. Survivor. So anyways, the challenge has the players working their way through a water-based course collecting puzzle pieces, which are basically uh, strings of buoys that need to be used to make a pyramid. They've done this one before. And the teams are more or less even, but Evie finishes the puzzle almost immediately, winning it for their team. And Evie notes that they remembered this puzzle from the Edge of Extinction and then made their own version at home to practice it. What do we think about this? (laughs) Let's talk about that. (laughs) Um, A couple things. Uh, The most obvious being if you're Evie, and they're clearly on the bottom of things right now. I don't know if I would like 
make known just how smart I am. It's like mm-hmm. not only did they finish it and so quickly, but they're telling you like the the strategy their pregame strategy around how they anticipated it. There's just a lot of uh, revealing your hand in that moment. I would say massive ding to production here Mm -hmm. in that this shouldn't be a thing, right? It's like Mm -hmm. there should, there's a world in which you repeat a challenge such as um, what, what would later become the immunity challenge here, because you know, you can practice that all you want, but you know, with the heat and, and with uh, not having nourishment, there's a, there's a lot of factors, but with something like a puzzle, it's like if someone can go back and watch a season and learn how to do the exact thing. And also this puzzle's not that hard once you know how to do it. Like it's just literally one of those things where it's like, once you know how to turn the lock on it, you can open the door. Um, I, I, I have to wonder if we will see this puzzle again. I have to believe we will see it quite a bit because production will love the fact that like a super fan has an advantage in this game. But I thought that that really ruined the any momentum that this challenge had by just sort of ending it so quickly. Um, I thought that was not a good result, although I know there, there are people out there that might have found that to be like really fun. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah. So I see this from two different angles. One from the angle of Evie being a survivor super fan and then being able to come out here and just bang this out, I thought was great for Evie and uh, really showed that Evie gamed the game. And I appreciate that. On the other hand, the game should not be easy to game. Uh, so and of course Jeff says after this lesson to like he turns to the camera and says lesson to you future survivor players that's how you do it no that's not how you do it that's not the lesson you should be taking away from this Jeff the lesson you should be taking away from this is innovate your challenges a little bit because uh, we this should not be a thing Uh, so and, and yeah this is this is like a standard puzzle and they've done so many of their puzzles many 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 times there are stores you can go to now on etsy where you can buy like replicas of the survivor puzzles to practice at home and they're they're identical identical replicas if i was going on survivor i would buy that store out and i would learn those puzzles by heart because right like i mean look what it gets you now although i think this was great for evie bad for the show i think evie really slipped up like you say by saying I remember this from Edge of Extinction and I made my own and I practiced it. I would not have said that. I would have just been like, it just clicked for me. I just saw it and did it, right? Evie could have gotten away with that. They're like a very smart person uh, in the sciences. Like this just may be the way that their brain works. Yeah, I do think it's worth pausing here to kind of, you know, think about where Evie is at right now in the game because... You know, obviously, and we've said this before, being on the bottom can be a good thing in a traditional season in which there's like multiple alliances. But I think given that there's like kind of this super alliance, which it's like it's a strong core four with a strong onion around it. I think Evie's really, I'm going to, I anticipate that we're going to have, and I'm going to eat crow, I'm, I'm sure, but a couple weeks of kind of, not exciting votes because I don't see a world in which unless Evie wins immunity, um, I just don't see a world in which Evie's not the target because, and I don't think this should be the case. Cause I think people are playing. Some people are playing poorly in the sense of targeting them, but I'm just not sure how Evie survives with, with the many targets that are on them. They're well-liked. They're good at challenges. It's like they're, they're doing a lot of things that, put the target on them 
then letting everyone know that they're the super fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, j- I'm just, I guess I'm curious where Evie goes from here um, because in a standard season, I think, you know, like I said, being on the bottom, you can work your way up. But I'm just, I'm not sure like who Evie would cling to because I don't think Evie adds a vote in any sense. So that's, that's my question for Evie. Yeah, I think if if nothing shakes up next week in terms of the alliance and who's in it and who's outside of it, then I think it's bad news for Evie. If the sort of chaos that occurred at this week's tribal council combined with the chaos of last week's tribal council and the sheer size of the majority alliance uh, uh, continues, if that continues into... Uh, next week or continues to break down, then I think Evie's got an opportunity there. So my prediction though, is that like, I don't think whatever, again, I'm not, I know we're not in the business of prediction, but I just don't think that chaos, I think that the fact that we got so much of that chaos in the preview, I think is a mislead. Mm. Yeah. I think that there's going to be chaos, but I don't think it will affect the vote. It's the same thing that happened on tonight show where it's like a lot of like chaos, but ultimately a very straightforward vote. Yeah. 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 Okay. So back at camp, we see the winning team get to feast on their grilled cheese and chips and juice. Their uh, what? <laughs> grilled cheese. <laughs> grilled cheese. I wish he also said chips and yeah, oh juice. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Uh, okay. And then we see the losers, uh, particularly Leanna, Shan, and Xander, crying over the grilled cheese. And I'm sorry to say, but I laughed out loud at the scene. I mean, like... Just the way that the tears were streaming was, to me, hysterical because it was so stupid. Um, we also see a little bit of strategy here. Liana and Shan want Evie out of the game, further to what we were discussing. But here's where the real, here's where things get really juicy. Nasir finds some papaya for the losers of the reward challenge to eat. And the winners return from their little lunch and they come in and Ricard's like, what are you eating? And Shan tells them that they ate some papaya and Ricard helps himself to what looks to me like quite a a modest portion of papaya. It looks like a little sliver. Uh, And Shan gives him hell saying he just had grilled cheese and like hands off my papaya. I want to try the papaya. (laughs) I want to try the papaya. Did you hear that? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. It really, 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 really bombed. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm still figuring out the soundboard Uh, okay (laughs) we'll get it together for season 42 what do you think about Papaya Gate Uh, I don't have a strong opinion about it Uh, I think Ricard was wrong but I don't think it was a big deal Uh, Mm. I wouldn't have done it if I were Ricard but here's my question can't they just go get another papaya like (laughs) There's, it's an island full of papayas, and it's not as though it's not as though like Nasir could only get the one. So my immediate thought was like, either if I were Ricardo, I'll be like, I'll go bring you another papaya. It, it, again, this sort of lends itself to like they're crying about not being able to because they're starving, but there's papayas on the island. Nasir can clearly go; he's a provider, as they say. He can clearly go and get a fish. They have food. So I could understand if like the crying was because I really wanted the taste of a grilled cheese. That makes sense. Excuse me. A grilled cheese. <laughs> I could understand that. But they're complaining because they're so hungry. And then she, uh, Shanna's making a big deal about the papaya. Go get more papaya. That's the part of it that I find strange is like they're hungry. 
they don't have any food, but it's an island full of food and they have the ability to get the food and they're eating the food, but there's no food. I don't get it. Yeah, I. this is how I feel about the papaya. I think that if it were me, I probably wouldn't have reached down and tasted the papaya because I would have been conscious of the fact that I just had grilled cheese. I also think it's not a big deal because it's a, a resource that's coming from the island that is, while it's limited, I'm sure that there are plenty of papayas out there and coconuts and other things that they can eat. It's not even quite like fish because fish is a little bit more scarce, right? If they came in and ate a fish, that would be a different story. But this is like... a a fruit that grows on trees and they are surrounded by trees. It may not be the most plentiful fruit. I don't know, but it's like, I don't think we should be getting worked up about this, but we have a voice memo. Can I ask a question though, before the voice memo real quick? Um, Because Ricard made the comment saying that he had never had a papaya and we're Mm. on day 15, right? Mm -hmm. Why are they not eating papayas before today? Okay. So something I have heard about uh, this location in past seasons is that they use multiple islands, right? And there are different resources on different islands, right? So I suspect that there are papayas uh, on this camp. They're at the old Luvu camp, I believe. So I suspect there happened to be papayas here. Maybe there were not papayas at Ua or they didn't know to find them. Surely Nathan would have shown them papayas uh, if they had them at their camp. So that's my guess. I don't know that that's true. Although it was kind of like a thing where Nasir was like, I found papayas. So maybe they're a little bit rare and they maybe that's contributing to some of the uh, tension here. But I mean, he found like three. They had three. It wasn't like they ate one papaya. There was three papayas and they're huge. Okay, let's hear what Natalie has to say about the papayas. We've heard from Natalie before. She's got more to say. Hey, y'all. This is Natalie from Arkansas. My favorite undersung Survivor contestant would be Kelly Goldsmith from Season 3, Africa. I love Kelly Goldsmith. And tonight, I have just finished listening to the Survivor episode. I work in a big corporate office with a big open floor plan, and we are not allowed to watch anything on our phones during my evening shift. So I turn my phone face down on my desk, and I listen to the Survivor episode live every Wednesday. So I could have missed something, but I'm on my lunch break now, and I'm recording this message for y'all, and this message is about papaya. I am on team. Ricard is allowed to taste the papaya. Okay, so the grilled cheese that he won was a reward that is given to a group of people in order to get them extra calories as an advantage in this game. Tasting a papaya straight from the tree on Fiji is an experience that cannot be replaced and an experience that is available to everybody on the tribe. And I don't think it's right to keep that experience from somebody just because they won a reward that you did not win. I understand the gut reaction from Shan here, um, but in the end, I think she's wrong, and I think Ricard is right, and I am standing firm here. And I feel really strongly about it, but I'm not sure why. Probably to distract myself from the way this episode ended. (sighs) Anyway, I love the podcast. Can't wait to hear from you guys. Bye. Wow. Kelly Goldsmith. Um, <laughs> Icon. Like second Can I that say name about, was mentioned. 
Kelly Goldsmith is that, I mean, she was great. And she, you know, we talked about when we had Courtney on, I, I don't remember if I said this or not. We talked about when we had Courtney on that there really wasn't a blueprint for Courtney before, but if there was, it was Kelly Goldsmith, I think. Um, and I just love, love, love. I mean, I think it was when Kelly got voted out and she cast a vote for Lex and it might've been the only vote for Lex. And she just had such a great voting confessional where she was like, uh, I'm happy to be writing your name down. And it's the if it's the only time I'm writing your name down because you're just not pleasant to be around. I just thought it was great. We should seek out Kelly. Well, you know, Kelly became, Kelly started working for Survivor. Kelly uh, cast like half of Vanuatu. She was a casting director for Survivor. A wonderful cast. Amazing. Full of all-stars. Mm-hmm. Um, but Natalie, first of all, Thank you. That's exactly the kind of uh, voice memo we love to hear. Yeah, you've convinced me. You're right. And you know what? In thinking about it, it's a sliver. It's not a big deal. And I feel like we've seen this episode, actually, if you really want to take it from the vantage point of Shan, there's a lot of sloppy gameplay going on in that this is not the first time we've seen her and Ricard uh, butting heads. And then we have multiple instances in this episode where she's butting butting heads with Deshaun. And I I feel like it's interesting to see if this will all culminate in something uh, soon or toward the end of the game. But her her social game is rather lacking um, Mm -hmm. in that for her to feel pressed about it is one thing for her to express feeling pressed about it to the person who's in her alliance. But we've had tensions between them in the past and not sure it was really smart. If anything, I would have gone to like Liana and bitched about it. Um, but I'm not sure if I would have confronted Ricard about it, uh, especially because now, as you pointed out, and I wasn't thinking about this, it's a sliver. Get over it. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting your Shan's sloppiness in this episode because what we've learned about Shan so far is that she is a master social uh, strategist and manipulator. And yet... What we're seeing actually is that she's very good at getting people on board with a plan, but she's not necessarily great with the people. And there's just a general, uh, my, I can't think of an example of a kind of player like this right now. I, I will, I could down the line, but it's like, I think the best, and for me, a really smart way to play the game is to be the person that formulates the idea, but leads others in your immediate mm-hmm. alliance to feel like it was a group decision. Mm-hmm. And Shan has a way of like, it's both a domineering personality, but wanting to make it clear to everyone that she's the one leading things. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I think one thing that Shan, there's a level of humility that Shan is lacking, even amongst her own uh, alliance, that I think is going to bite her. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, a big thing that people are forgetting in this season is the strategy of putting an idea out there and making other people feel like it was their idea. Exactly. We're not seeing that this season. And then Uh, when you go to Final Tribal, then you can own the fact that who was the first person to bring this up? It was me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, One final thing on the Papaya Gate is I I just want to note that Ricard says he's never seen sort of like a line drawn in the sand around those who win reward and those who don't and being able to eat for the rest of the day. Well, that is actually something we've seen 
many times. Uh, I, I actually, this is interesting because uh, I was watching the Survivor Know-It-Alls uh, uh, last night with uh, Rob Sesternino and Stephen Fishback, and Rob actually brought up that this happened in the Amazon when Dina and Dave went on a reward. They ate ice cream. They came back. Dina wanted some fish. I thought it was great that he brought that up because I... Uh, just watched Survivor. I rewatched Survivor Amazon this week. So I was like, yes, exactly. And then in Palau, which I feel like I reference almost every recap, I reference Palau. There's some sort of correlation between 41 and Palau. I'm convinced of it. Where Janu and Karen come back from a reward. They've brought food back from the reward for the tribe. And Janu and Karen continue to pick at the food. And they're like, oh, I never even tried that at the feast. And people are pissed off that they're eating after they come back from the reward. Little bit of a different situation, but similar you know also going to the amazon wasn't that sort of the moment in which jenna turned on dina strategically in a little didn't bit. that have a little, a, bit. a little bit of an impact in her sort of not looking at dina okay wait this also reminds me not exactly similar but while we're talking about it nalia and marquesas chewing <laughs> was it the bubble gum what was it she it was a mint something. she was sucking was on a mint. a mint and she yes. offered it from her mouth to other people and they were like i'm good love iconic okay yeah, anyway yeah, yeah. yeah interesting yeah yeah and, and you know we've brought this up several times now but there's this weird sort of like erasure on the show of its own history in a way that i find really troubling um which is like if something is unprecedented i am all for pointing out its unprecedentedness um but it's really hard when you're in season 41 of a show for anything to have never been done before yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'll i let this one slide for Ricard because these moments we're talking about are a little bit obscure, but I mean, they're, they're, they have a special place in my heart. But uh, I could see that this hasn't really been a thing in Modern Survivor, either because we're not seeing it or because people let it slide. But I do love to see this kind of thing come back because it's just, it's so funny. To, it's so, such a stupid argument that it's just like, comedic yeah i should point out though too i think it's different when someone like ricard says something that's never been done before versus a jeff because i put more mm, yeah. onus on jeff in production to sort of it's like more like when jeff says this is the first time this has ever happened it's like jeff you know the stats so yeah okay we give yeah, ricard yeah. a pass on this one yeah okay let's go to the immunity challenge uh it'll be quick the challenge is the one where you have to balance on your toes with a block of wood wedged between your head and a frame. Of course, this one was played in another Edge of Extinction, um, where this is the one where Lauren was going, I'm getting a little dizzy. Oh my I'm God. a little dizzy. And then she passed out, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. So that's the challenge. Uh, before they start, Jeff, Jeff offers a negotiation. Angelina's impact continues to be felt on this show, an icon Please. for the ages. I mean, they're doing a little like, uh, I think maybe Netflix promo here tie in because uh, David versus Goliath is going on Netflix. Shouldn't they have brought her out to handle the negotiation? Mm -hmm. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Jeff asked the group that if uh, multiple people choose to sit out he will give them a bag of rice that will last a while i think he says like three days but it looks like a huge bag of rice uh shan goes back and forth with jeff and they agree that if five people sit out of the challenge they will get the rice so well, let's, shan, let's frame yeah. this that originally jeff wants seven out yeah so they're going back and forth it's like seven two three five okay so they're gonna go with five so shannon and nasir step forward to volunteer to sit out and no one else is really taking the bait. Xander negotiates with Jeff down to four. 
this is really interesting because it's like Shan was leading this negotiation. Jeff wouldn't budge. All of a sudden, Golden Boy Xander steps forward and Jeff's like, okay, I'll give you four. Also, here I have a huge problem with this because if you are the negotiator and you are the person in power, Jeff budged further. He went down from seven to four. They went up from two to four. So they moved two up. Jeff moved three down. I feel like five was a very generous offer. You got to hold your ground. I feel like Jeff was overly generous in this situation and ruined the stakes of, I think if they couldn't have put five people forward, then it shouldn't have happened. I feel well, like Jeff wanted Jeff to do was... it so badly. Exactly. He wanted it to happen exactly. like so many things. So anyways, Xander steps forward and finally Ricard reluctantly joins. I just want to note here that the three people who step forward first are the three idol holders. So of course they feel comfortable. Plus they're in the majority alliance. Ricard obviously didn't want to step forward, but didn't want to make an issue of it, I'm guessing. And so reluctantly sort of like stepped forward and said, okay, I'm going to do this. Uh, I don't think Ricard ever felt like he was in trouble. I think there, I think everyone who stepped forward was quite comfortable. Uh, although maybe, I mean, Nasir got a vote, but like, I think they were all fine. I also have to imagine that production realized the likelihood that unless Tiffany or Evie had immunity for this challenge, mm. that the vote would be pretty inevitable. Yeah. So I think this was also production's way of, of increasing the odds that mm. someone on the bottom could have uh, more of a chance of shaking up the game. Yeah, maybe. I wonder if we're going to see more stuff like this. I mean, we saw like with the merge uh, vote that half of the tribe was safe at tribal here. Half of them are not participating in the challenge. I could see this becoming a trend, right? But it's like hardest season ever. We've got grilled cheese. We've got chips. We've got papaya. <laughs> now we've got more rice. It's just for hardest season ever, we're getting a lot of food. I mean, I'm, I have no doubt they're hungry, but I'm just saying it's not seeming as hard as they're saying. Yeah. It seems like the temperature is also coming down a bit too. Jeff wasn't so wet this week. Mm, no, he wasn't. So the challenge flies by in four minutes, which might be a record. This is unconfirmed, but it might be the fastest challenge ever with maybe the exception of the pulling rocks in Heroes versus Healers versus Hustlers. But it depends if they drew out those pulling of the rocks for the family visit uh, where you had to have the same color marble to visit with your family. I was going to say, um, that's kind of you to call it a challenge. Yeah, yeah, not a challenge. Well, but, uh, well, let's 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 look at this because I think first of all, how satisfying was it to see Heather to like the nail biter of is this gonna go to uh -huh. Heather or Evie? I loved that. I mean, Heather really. There's, a, I mean, this was a Heather centric episode in many senses, uh -huh. uh, which we'll get to, but that was really satisfying. But I do think it's worth pointing out. There, so there are two ways to sort of articulate how this challenge went. On the one hand, you can say, this is such a hard season. They are so exhausted that they could only manage four minutes. And I'm sure that's the, the way Jeff would like to see it. But considering how far off we are, how long did Spencer hold this for? It was he over an hour, It was like right? almost two hours, like a, an hour and something, yeah. Yeah, so considering we are so far off, I tend to view this more of like, okay, like we've lost some of like the grit or the or the will, or I'm not sure, but like something's off when no one can last even five minutes in a challenge. I, I don't know, do you think it was malnutrition? Like, what do you think was happening here that made it such that like these people were like, even the winner was in essence a failure? 
Yeah, well, to be fair, four people were sitting out. Uh, two of them were uh, uh, Ricard and Xander, who I both think that could have been very, very good in this challenge. We saw Ricard's fancy footwork in the last episode. Uh, uh, I think Ricard said that he's like a dancer or he has a background in dance. And so I think that he probably could have withstood this a little longer. I think Xander probably could have given this a good shot. I also think Nasir said that he practiced it. Uh, so he could have done well in it. So keep in mind, we have like a smaller pool that we're working from here. But I also always have wondered with these kinds of challenges where they, they have to build a frame and they have to like either either the one where they like have to hold themselves by their forearms and their feet or like this one or where they have to hold something against a, a block of wood. I always wonder like if if this thing is built like even a millimeter off specification, it could really throw the game off. And I, I'm not saying that that's what happened here, but I've always thought there's a big variable with this kind of a challenge and it's the way that it's built. And I almost wonder whether just watching them, whether it was like they weren't given quite as much uh, space or they were given more space than they needed just by even just by you know, half a centimeter. Uh, it's tricky. I don't know. It's just something is sus that they all fell off so quickly. I don't think that that really makes sense. So anyways, we get Evie winning. Uh, Heather came so close. I saw a great tweet saying, Heather was pushed. <laughs> Truly. Uh, yeah. So, but I love just I love to see Heather here. I like I was laughing out loud watching Heather almost win this challenge because it would have just it been was so a joy. amazing. But uh Evie wins, uh probably saves themselves from elimination this week. I think I told you this uh in one of our voice memos, but there's a theory going around right now on Reddit that Heather is the winner of the season and that we're going to get a big reveal in the final episode, which will just be a bunch of flashbacks from throughout the season that were never seen. Oh my God. In which like Heather is this mastermind strategist and she's going to come through in the end and we're gonna realize there was this whole game being played and they purposefully edited her out. I'm just saying I would live for that. That If that were to play out, and I say if, <laughs> LOL, um, but like if that were to play out, this would usurp uh, Micronesia as my favorite season. That could honestly kill the show, and I'm here for it. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's go to uh, the pre-tribal strategy. I'll try to run through this quickly because a lot happened. We basically get three plans come together. One plan is that the Power Alliance wants to flush Xander's idol and send Tiffany home. Then that evolves because Danny suggests to the four, core four campout uh, that instead of that, they split the vote between Tiffany and Nasir, uh, and hopefully Xander still plays his idol. Shan disagrees with Danny and Deshaun on this, on, on putting Nasir's name out there, uh, because she's not buying this Yasa act that they are all separate and free agents. And here's where we get our first little clash between uh, Shan and Deshaun, where Deshaun pulls Shan aside and says, like, you have a communication problem. Uh, you're you're telling me what to do. I'm not being heard. And she says, okay, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to do better. Okay. Then plan three develops because 
they, uh, I think Shan goes to Nasir and says, hey, just so you know, we've put your name out there. We want Xander to think that the vote is you, but it's really going to be on Tiffany and we're hoping that Xander plays his idol, etc., etc. It's starting to get complicated. And Nasir goes, what the hell? Like, don't put my name out there. I don't want my name out there. And so in that moment, Shan goes, okay, we're going to, we'll do Heather instead of you. Your name is no longer out there. It's Heather. Uh, And so they tell this to Xander, like suddenly Xander's heard the plan change a couple of times and Xander's like, something's up here. Finally, Shan goes and tells Heather with Erica that they've been putting Heather's name out as a decoy and Heather goes, nuclear. We're finally getting some Heather content and it's perfect because in this moment, it seems that Heather understands the game a little better than Shan. This was so messy for Shan for all the reasons I just said, but as Heather states, you don't tell someone you're putting their name out there. That's when shit hits the fan. And that is exactly what happens here because I think Heather perfectly summed this up. We had Shan go around and tell multiple people that their name is being thrown out there as either a decoy or a plan B or a plan C. And it's like, The whole point of doing a decoy or a plan B or a plan C is that that person doesn't know and never has to find out unless it comes into play. Also, it's just such an easy, this is what I don't get about any of this. It's such an easy vote. It didn't need a plan B or a plan Mm -hmm. C. It's like, sure, Xander has the idol, but you have multiple people that you want to vote out and you have enough people to split the vote between them whether yeah. or not he plays the idol, which he didn't even yeah. play. Again, it was a lot of like theatrics and talking about, you know, for instance, as you mentioned earlier, it's like, is Yasa actually broken up? It doesn't matter if they aren't mm-hmm. broken up. Even if they are not broken up, they don't have any power. So I felt like, I totally agree. This was great uh, strategic move on Heather's part to, to recognize this, but also just Shan going around and making it seem like this was such a critical tribal. It's like, Shan, you're blowing a big load right now. Sorry, that's a gross term. Shan, you're <laughs> you're doing a lot right now when very little needs to be done. And this is yet another time where, because we saw it play out during the negotiation uh, at the immunity tribe, or the immunity challenge, in which Shan is sort of like putting herself out front of everybody mm-hmm. and sort of being like the leader mm-hmm. and playing a very braggadocious game. And mm-hmm. I just, I'm not sure what her thought process is here, but... Yeah, I I was surprised by that. One other thing I think is worth us mentioning is a conversation happening on Twitter, which was sort of like the gender dynamics at play. So the idea that like uh, Shan articulated the fact that she felt like she needed to coddle Danny, or not Danny, Deshaun. And Deshaun was saying that he sort of felt like she was speaking down to him. Um, I think it's interesting. And I, I think not enough credit is really being given to Deshaun in that situation. In I don't think this is what such like a an example of like men versus women. First of all, I don't think it's that, I I don't like that sort of like breaking it down to be that simple, but I actually want to give credit to Deshaun in both instances for articulating unemotionally how he felt in a certain moment about the way he was being talked to. I actually thought if we're going to discuss gender stereotypes, I actually feel like if anything, Deshaun broke the gender stereotype Mm -hmm. of one, a man sort of suppressing their emotions or two, like getting loud about something when they feel like they're backed into a corner. I felt like Deshaun was very masterful in both instances and being like, 
I'm letting you know, human to human, that I'm feeling a certain way about the way you're talking to me and it's making me not want to to work together as a result. Um, and he even says in that first instance afterward, he says, I love you to sort of separate game from, from real life. Um, so I just want to give credit to Deshaun here. I feel like this is the second week in which we're really seeing Deshaun emerge as, as a strong possible winner contender. Yeah, I totally agree. I thought that this was actually really refreshing because once again, you're getting uh, a pair of people who are aligned having a conversation to be like, and it's a healthy conversation to say, exactly. the way we are communicating is not working for me. How can we fix this? Instead yes. of Deshaun going, you know what? Like, I hate Shan. Let's get her. I right. can't work with you. Yeah. And yeah. I, I got to say, like, one thing that I thought I found frustrating about Shan in that moment is if someone approaches you and says, I'm not being heard, I feel like you're not listening. At that point, you shut your mouth and listen to them. Mm -hmm. And I thought Shan, you could see in her and in her, like the energy that she was expressing, that she was ready to sort of like jump back in and defend herself in that situation. And so I think, because De Deshaun seems really smart to me. And I think what Deshaun was realizing in that moment in like a bigger sense was that we can resolve this right now, but this is going to be a bigger problem down the line. Like, I definitely think the beef was squashed in that moment, but I think it was a big turning point for Deshaun in recognizing that he articulated how he felt about something and she didn't absorb it. And yes. I think he's smart enough to, to observe whether or not it was absorbed, and it wasn't. And I think that will prove – I don't necessarily know if it will be the breakdown of their alliance, but I do know that like that – I think it's a significant moment for Deshaun in realizing who Shan is as a person, not as a game player, as a person. Yeah, and you know what? Shan revealed something about herself here that I think was very unbecoming, which is the speech that she gave about being a pastor – and that when she's a pastor and the members of her church, parish, whatever, I don't know what it is, uh, uh, they all have different ideas and one wants a potluck and one wants a trip and one has evangelical ideas and that she's got to listen to them all and then convince them that it's her way or the highway, like she's she knows the best. And I just thought, why would you say that on TV? I get that this is a game and I get that they're like pushing you to say extreme things, but like you are jeopardizing your real life here and like what kind of uh, what kind of what is your thought process here what is your like uh, uh, like risk calculation risk analysis that you're doing because this is psychotic thing to say like you are you're all like surely all of the people in the in the your membership of whatever i don't know what they call it their parish or whatever are watching you and you're telling them that they're all dodos and that you're like running the show like some master manipulator. You're like, you're supposed to be a pastor. I, I thought that that was a really bizarre, bizarre uh, confessional. I did too. And there's just a general, and we've seen this uh, kind of throughout the run so far, but a general lack of empathy. And I think um, it's going to come back to bite her, uh, if not soon, then down the line. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to tribal. We have a pretty standard tribal right up until it's time to vote when Heather starts to whisper to Tiffany and she says to Tiffany, sit here and be calm. Trust me. Then Heather gets up and runs around to various people. And I want to point out that she's trying to convince Tiffany, Evie, and Liana to vote for Nasir. And she tells Erica, I'm going to try to get Tiffany, Evie, and Liana to vote for Nasir. But it's not clear that her intention is actually to vote out Nasir. 
Uh, I think there's something going on here, and I don't know if you've been able to pick up on it, but what do you think Heather's intention of starting this live tribal actually was? I'm truly not sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the thing. I, I guess the most obvious response is that Heather is trying to shake things up in an effort to get Nasir to use his idol. That's what I thought. I thought, is she trying to flush Nasir's idol? But, but yeah, but <laughs> we're going to do the same, but, but right before tribal, she was told by Shan that her name was thrown out there as a decoy plan or a backup plan. And so I wonder, was she actually trying to get uh plan two, which was when Nasir was going to be the backup plan. Was she trying to get back to that plan so that her name is no longer on the table? And if so, was this the best way to do it? I don't think so. I like, I'm really curious. I, suspect we're never going to get an explanation for what happened in that tribal at least not until uh heather does her exit press uh in a, in a hopefully a similar fashion to sydney's exit press but i'm just like totally baffled about what happened here and i think there's far more going on than we were ever shown yeah i i think my default mode when live tribals get this chaotic is i just kind of disengage mm-hmm. um because i remember when i first because the live tribals began in the 30s am i correct i think so if think not the very late, late 20s, 20s it, late 20s yeah so it's definitely uh not a part of the majority of survivor but when it be i remember when i first started seeing live tribals my thing was like trying to track uh who's where and who's potentially shifting their vote in real time, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think around probably game changers, they started to get so chaotic for me in trying to parse out idols, advantages, alliances, voting blocks, et cetera, that I just began, the more chaotic it got, the more I just was like, it's done. And often, not always, and I said this early on in our episode, I knew it was not, I'm not saying it's like, I'm so smart. I'm saying that For me, it was so obviously Tiffany that the show was going to go out of its way because the show just very seldom will give you like a clean, this is the person going home. Mm -hmm. And so it just felt like chaos when the the numbers were there all along, Xander's idol play, whether or not it happened, wouldn't matter. Ricard encouraging um, Xander to to use the idol. I was so obvious Xander knew what was up and wasn't going to use it. Like there was just a lot of obviousness that, I find myself in those situations, like if I engage with it, then I end up feeling as crazy as the show's trying to make me feel. And so mm. I opt out of crazy. Yeah, yeah. I I do think something interesting happened here, which was that when Shan caught wind of Heather's plan, Shan said, that's it, let's, let's vote out Heather. Like we don't need her and she's causing this unnecessary chaos. And they seemed to get on board with that. And the Yasa three were like, absolutely, we'll do this. Like, just, just tell us to vote for Heather. We're voting for Heather. And uh, they, everybody in the majority alliance also seemed on board until Deshaun came up and said, I don't want to vote for Heather. And then Shan and Deshaun get into their second little fight. And but Deshaun's this one's sort of in front of others. In front of others. It's like mom and dad fighting in the middle of the restaurant. And right. just like uncomfortable. Uh, and so like once again, we see Shan sort of having to backtrack and go like, no, no, no. Like I I, I want to hear you, but it's a little too little too late. Yeah. They, obviously what we don't see is that they revert back to plan one, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, because why wouldn't of, you? Yeah. Of like... Hopefully getting Xander to flush his idol and having the target be Tiffany and... 
And then the people who are left out of that are Yasa to a certain extent who somehow uh, Evie and Tiffany vote for Heather and then Xander votes for Nasir. So I don't know whether wires got crossed there or what. Right. Um, One other thing that I think is worth bringing up that I got to thinking about with the live tribal was the fact that we know that um, Ricard is partially deaf and these live tribals are heavily reliant upon whispering in mm -hmm. ears. I mean, we learned that part of the reason why uh, Ricard sits on the far right side of, of each tribal council is because he has better hearing in his left ear so he can hear the tribal dynamics and the conversations happening with Jeff. This got me thinking about you know, and this is a conversation Sean and I will be having uh, with a uh, future guest on the show, but sort of about the show uh, and its uh, people with disabilities on the show. There have been six disabled uh, survivors in its 41 seasons, which is uh, not a great number. Uh, and that includes Ricard. But, you know, what if Ricard were fully deaf? Uh, how would Ricard navigate a live tribal? Mm -hmm. um, by sort of forcing gameplay into a live tribal and having it all exist with whispers, there's an ableism at play here. And I don't think it has really impacted the game much because we have so few uh, survivors on the show with disabilities. But it was just one of those moments where I was thinking about the fact of like, that someone like Ricard is at a disadvantage in a live tribal because of their human condition. And I just think that's something that's worth maybe having a larger conversation about at some point. Um, you know, we we will, I mean, we will do a whole episode about uh, disability on Survivor and the way it's treated. Um, but that's just something I got to thinking about in that moment. And I, I would be curious, hopefully we'll talk to Ricard at some point and just address the fact that when Tribal went live, was it ever, I imagine that must've been kind of scary to think that he could possibly miss something because his hearing is not the same as his contemporaries. And that shouldn't be a disadvantage in the game, the way I see it. Yeah, I wonder too though, uh, whether in a situation where there's a live tribal, whether somebody with a hearing impairment who's able to read lips uh, can actually maybe suss out more than others. I think at the end of the day, it's probably uh, more of a disadvantage than an advantage uh, because surely you could even like potentially hear some whispering uh, from afar, which, which Ricard may not be able to hear. Uh, but, you know, I'll be very interested to see if, if something like that comes up, although I doubt it because they haven't even told us on the show that Ricard is deaf in one ear. So, And this is something I've been thinking about too, because you know Ricard had uh, several, I think at least one, but if not several confessionals this episode. And I was thinking about the fact that like Ricard has really, we've only really seen him as like a game bot so far in the show. We've not got gotten a lot of human moments from him, which is interesting, you know, in comparison to someone like a Liana, for instance, who, or even a Deshaun, uh, like there've been, narratively he has not been sort of made out to be like a 360 person thus far. So much of what we know about Ricard and Ricard is such an interesting person off the show uh, has not been included in the show thus far. And I, I don't know, I, again, conversations I'd be curious to have with Ricard. Is he frustrated at all with the sort of like flattening uh, depiction of who he is as a person? Cause it's mm -hmm. just a lot of like gameplay, gameplay, gameplay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, there are characters like, Tiffany, for instance, in which it's like, I feel like I know Tiffany more as a human being than I do as a survivor player. Um, and that sort of, I think, ingratiates a person uh, more into our hearts when we know them as human beings. And I just think Ricard is such an interesting story. I, I hope the show will tell it uh, or give him the opportunity to tell it. Uh, we'll see. 
Yeah. Also, sorry, one last thing about that, though. I also wonder, are there conversations, you know, not only are Ricard and Evie two LGBTQ plus players on this merge tribe, but they're two really smart, articulate, thoughtful ones. And so I would be really curious if any, like, just conversations about queerness were happening. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that they had to be or that they were, but I, I that'd be one thing I'd be really curious about because I always wondered, you know, like, I think a lot about um, millennials versus Gen X and it's like, Ha or no, uh, 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 was when does Zeke come back? Was that Game Changers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think about the fact, had there not been, had Zeke not had a Jeff uh, Varner and instead had someone like actually like, you know, human and, and compassionate, like the kind of conversations that could be had, you know, about representation both on Survivor, but just in the world right now. There's a lot happening in the world with regards to, you know, the queer resistance and queer perseverance and, you know, the LGBTQ plus liberation movement. I would be interested to know if those conversations were happening. Maybe high level. Yeah, but especially anyway. from two uh, self-professed super fans of Survivor. Yeah. Like surely you would want to put that in context. Wow, isn't this amazing? Hey, can like maybe we should work together. Wouldn't it be cool if like we went to the end together? We're just not seeing totally. Anything like and that. and and not for nothing, we have you know two uh, openly LGBTQ plus winners of the game. Both are white men, and so ex how exciting would it be to have a non-binary person or a deaf man of color, uh, both of whom identify as LGBTQ plus? So I think that there again, there's uh, there's there's just an opportunity there, not for them to win necessarily, but just I would even just be interested in the conversations about their lived experiences in this world as two marginalized queer people. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So the vote comes back. Tiffany has six votes. I just want to point out who voted for Tiffany. So Ricard, Shan, Erica, Liana, Deshaun, and Heather voted against Tiffany. Nasir and Danny voted against Xander. So that was the split. Uh, I'm kind of surprised. I guess the intention was that if Xander played his idol for Tiffany, then Xander would go home. But then Evie and Tiffany voted for Heather, so it would have been a tie. But still, Xander, I think, would have gone home. So that's what they did with the split. It's an interesting split because it's, like, quite six to two. Uh, right. But... Sorry, two other quick things to point out about this tribal. One, Evie mentioned the fact that the only reason that they were still there was because Sydney had played the shot in the dark. Not true. As we talked about last week, even had Sydney voted, uh, Sydney still would have gone home. There were not enough votes for Evie. Am I correct mm -hmm. in that? Mm -hmm. No. So if I'm wrong, if, yeah, if Sydney had not played her shot in the dark, oh, sorry, it would have gone. Sydney would have voted for Evie. It would have been tied, and then and then Evie the revote would have gone every... on a revote. Yeah. Okay, I stand corrected. I apologize. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out um, was Shan getting up in that bizarre moment and doing the whole hardest season ever of Survivor. Uh, that was another uh, wish that moment would have been cut, but yeah. it just feels <laughs> strange. It feels very. Uh, just sort of like, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if like they were given a talking to and told to really highlight that aspect of they must this season. Been. They must have been. It's just so shoehorned and strange and her like getting up to proclaim it. The fact that she said the phrase and albeit she said it wrong, drop the four, hit the one, she said. <laughs> the fact that she said that it just tells me that they have been pushing this narrative on them because Jeff only said that once, I think. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Right. Maybe he said it at a tribal at some point. But like, anyway, come strange on. Moment. This is ridiculous. Uh, okay, so that's where we're at. We send Tiffany home. God, I'll miss her. But she's on the jury. Thank God. 
Uh, we have some voice memos, and there's gonna we're gonna get into Tiffany a little bit in the voice memos. So let's hold our thoughts uh, and hear from some listeners. Let's hear from Caden first. Hi, I wanted to put my thoughts into tonight's episode. I'm Caden. Um, I'm from Washington, and my favorite player. It's an underrated player. I think Aaron from Token Chains. That's my favorite player of all time. Um, I was totally expecting it to be Heather because we actually saw her and then she got up and I was like, oh no, Heather, no, because she did so good in the challenge and I was so proud of her. Tiffany came out of nowhere. I was so shocked. I cannot even believe it. And I'm so sad because I love Tiffany. I would have loved for Heather to have actually been able to change it to Nasir because it's starting to feel like it's the season's just going to go one way and I want it to be shaken up. Hang on. Before we talk about Aaron, can we just address what he said? <laughs> because I think I, I'm seeing a reaction from you on Aaron and I don't want to forget what he said about the episode. So when I was originally watching this, I did not expect it to be Tiffany. I was shocked. I will say that. On the rewatch, it was perfectly obvious that it was always going to be Tiffany. Uh, and I did think that like Heather getting up, I was like, well, this is it. This It has to be Heather going home. We're finally getting Heather all of a sudden. And it's batshit it's a little like looney tunes and i think she's shooting herself in the foot here and like maybe they thought that this was so bizarre and such a rookie not even rookie survivor mistake just a bizarre survivor mistake that she's going home and she wasn't really worth anything in the edit anyways uh but actually she's still here and like god uh, coming out of this episode she's the main character moving forward so i don't know what to make of it really I think one interesting thing that Caden pointed out that I think I spoke about earlier in this episode was like, it just seems like it's pretty clear that there's one direction in which we can go right now. And I sort of, that's why I mentioned the Evie of it all. And also just the fact that like the core four is really strong. And then the people on the outskirts of them are also strong thinking about, you know, again, I'll say with Ricard with Shan and Erica and Heather with Deshaun. So I guess, um, well, I'm curious to sort of see where we go from here if we can shake things up. Okay, Aaron, 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 Aaron. Have not heard that name in a while. Um, Kaden, I'm going to need you to call back in for next week. I think we can pick up this discussion and just give me, can you give me a boilerplate of why Aaron is the best player of all time? And I'll leave it there. Uh, look, I will say, I was really pleased to hear Aaron's name out here. Oh, yeah, no, I I was too after I Googled who that unexpected, was. Unexpected, certainly unexpected. But hey, Aaron uh, was kind of the rebel of token chains. Like Aaron hmm. was the uh, tr a trouble causer. She was re really interesting because she was the one that was able to get under Coach's skin, unlike anybody else. If you remember early on, she was the one who said like, remember Jeff said at Tribal, he was like, uh, is there like a natural leader of the tribe? And obviously coach was like, well, I'm the leader, blah, 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 blah. And Aaron's like, actually think, uh, what was his name? Brand Brandon? She's like, I think Brandon's the leader. Brandon, I had big, big crush on Brandon. He was part of the uh, Taj secret alliance, uh, exile alliance. Anyways, uh, I and then and then it was like when Coach went to exile and did his thing of like, I'm not, I'm taking the monastic approach. I'm not eating, blah, 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 blah. Aaron was like, he's not taking the monastic approach. He's taking the martyr approach so that when, so that when he loses the challenge, uh, he has an excuse for why he sucked, right? And like, she was really able to get under her skin. I think she came in third place, didn't she? Third or fourth I'm place. I'm not sure. I was trying to find her on Instagram right now, but she does not exist um, on there, so. <laughs> she was like um, a hairdresser, I think. 
she was a hairdresser who had a unique head of hair. <laughs> Anyhow. Okay, justice for Aaron. But wait, Caleb, okay. do call back in, though, because I want to continue this discussion. Caden. Caden. Caden said, I say um, Caleb. Caden, Caden, I'm so sorry. Caden said, is the season going one way? I think that's interesting because I think the strategy we've seen is actually quite basic so far, like we were talking about. It's just one huge alliance picking off the underdogs. And it's like, that's great. But like, when is somebody going to wise up to the fact that they need to do some shaking up? So good point. I can't wait to see somebody sort of like scoop up the bottom feeders and start playing with them because they're there and they not only are they there, but they have an idol and they have an extra vote. So what's going on here? Okay, let's hear from Julie. Baruch Hashem. This is Julie from San Francisco. My favorite underappreciated survivor is Chrissy from Heroes vs. Healers, yada, yada. Um, I thought this is a fun episode. I was really sad that Tiff left. She was my favorite, but I think she's going to be so funny on the jury, and I'm really looking forward to that. I'm finding the Deshaun and Shan dynamic really, really fascinating. In fact, I'm just finding Shan just really riveting to watch. And I used to work in the foster care system, and foster kids are the smartest, savviest group of people I've ever met. And I just, maybe that makes it even more interesting to me to see how she, how much she knows. Anyway, um, good night. Love your podcast. And um, bye-bye. <sighs> I live for this sort of voice memo, but what a, what a keen observation. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's, that really, that points to something that I think is really interesting about Shan, which we didn't get to in this episode, which is, I think that we're seeing some faulty gameplay, um, but Shan is such a compelling character. Mm -hmm. If you were to, you know, talk about the character from season 41, if you were to talk to a hundred super fans of the show, I don't even know who would come in second to Shan. I mean, this Shan is the star of season 41 from these eight episodes thus far. And Shan, there's just, there are so many layers to Shan. Um, and we've learned so much about her. And we've seen her at some high highs. And this week, you know, she's crying over her grilled cheese. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I definitely think Shan, um, whether or not I think that she is uh morally the 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 kindest uh most um loving human being that's a, that's a different conversation but as far as uh her importance and impact on survivor 41 yeah cannot be understated cannot be overstated oh god english <laughs> uh yeah I, I first of all uh chrissy i think is a legend i think we differ a little bit on the seven i know that you're not uh not necessarily the number one Chrissy fan out there, but I thought that she was the only redeeming thing about that season. Uh, and I think that she is a shoe in to come back if and when they ever do a returning player season. And I can't wait to see her play alongside Tiffany. I would love to see Cr Chrissy or Christy. Chrissy. I would Chrissy. love to see Chrissy return. I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> uh, and yeah, really, really just, fascinating insight uh into shan and uh and julie's experience in uh, foster care system saying that uh f foster care uh, children are so resourceful uh and uh and and smart so uh, that's you know 
hard to say where Shan gets it all from, but that's a really interesting insight because Shan does have a very specific way of kind of working people and convincing them of things, and uh, and she's masterful at it. So love that. We have one more voice memo. It's a little long, but there's a lot of good stuff to get into here. Hey, Sean. Hey, Evan. This is Abby from Milwaukee. Love the podcast. Love your guys' commentary. I think it's great, and I agree with literally almost everything you say. Um, my unsung survivor player has to be Natalie Bolton from Micronesia fame. I think she was really, um, um, underrepresented in the conversation around that alliance. She's amazing. And I love her as a character and a player. I know she was on, um, she was being held for survivor heroes versus villains. And I think it's really wild that, we got Candace and we could have had Natalie Bolton. I would have much preferred to see her, but whatever. I think Natalie is amazing and she is definitely one to keep an eye on in terms of the show. Um, to at, Looking at the episode tonight, it is so difficult to have so much joy, but so much disappointment at the same time. We are... Living in the Heather Assange, and we got some great moments from Heather. She did amazing in the challenge. She had some talking heads. She had some voiceovers. It was really great to see her finally represented in the show, as I'm sure you both agree. Um, But also at the same time, of course, we had to lose Tiffany. And I really am going to miss Tiffany's commentary. The moment when she said that she was going to be recruiting crew members to support her at Tribal Council, I really appreciated that moment from her. Um, I love it when Survivor breaks the fourth wall, although I don't see it as traditional in terms of the show. I think it's fun when it's fun, a la Mike White, um, and Tiffany always makes it fun. So I love that. I love that Tiffany's finally it is at least going to be on the jury. I think she'll give us some great moments, a la Eliza Orland style, eye roll, glances, things of that nature with the Tiffany spin. So I'm really looking forward to at least having Tiffany on the jury if we can't have her all the way. Um, and then Heather, of course, proud of her. I'm interested to hear your, um, your two's take on what do you think Heather and Tiffany's relationship was like around camp? I mean... Based off of what the show is telling us, they likely had kind of similar life experiences. I know that's an assumption, but um, do we think that Heather and Tiffany had some sort of relationship that was special? I mean, I that moment at um, Tribal when Heather first whispered to Tiffany her little secrets or whatever, um, also I thought it was pretty... Uh, pretty interesting to watch Heather kind of like go around when... Um, go around tribal and do her little tribal thing well everybody was not really into it that episode it was it was sweet I thought you know let Heather have her have her moment of course also my final thing is something I've noticed this season is we're really not getting creative with the buffs anymore I mean I've been a I've been watching Survivor for quite a while now and like Evan I kind of think there was a glory days back in Survivor um, and everybody was much more creative with the buffs back then. And now we're just kind of getting everybody wearing them around their neck or wearing them on their head, which is fine. I mean, I, I get it. You want to use your buff with purpose, but I really used to appreciate it when people would use, wear their buffs in a more creative way. So I feel like 
let's get more creative with it. And I'd love to hear your your take on it. So thanks, guys. I really appreciate the podcast and I love it so much. Okay, a lot to unpack there, Abby. Abby, Abby, Abby. Uh, agree. I miss the buff as tube top. I think that there mm. needs to be options that are large. It's like the the tri member should be able to tell production, here's how I want to wear my buff. And if it is a tube top, obviously that only works for certain people that are Elizabeth Hasselbeck size. So I do think there should be the option of, hey, I want a tube top. It can I have one in a bigger size? I'm. I, I remember agree buff you, though, is like, skirt. Ugh, don't even. Iconic. Yeah. Yeah. So. With you entirely, I think of all the points you made, that one deserves uh, to really uh, be, be unpacked. Uh, Sean and I could not be more aligned with you on Natalie Bolton. Uh, what a what a great pick. And and it's interesting you mentioned the Candace of it all. I would have subbed Danielle out because the thing is with Candace, I think there was an issue. This is a whole other conversation. I won't get in. But I think there was trouble with who could be a hero, who could be a villain. And, and we saw that play out in the end, but I think that I definitely would have loved to see Natalie. It, it pains me to know she was on the island. If I were production, I would have been like, you know what? Let's just add a 21st cast member. Okay, yeah. anyway, um, the, to your Heather, uh, Tiffany of it all, I think there was so little time. And again, this speaks to the velocity of how this season is moving, that they might've had at this point, what? Like two, three, four nights together. So I imagine they might've had a few conversations. I imagine there might've been like a personal bond but i can't imagine that the two of them would have really talked game just because it's not advantageous for heather in any way to align herself with tiffany i sort of wonder though like because the bonds that we've seen tiffany make and maybe it's just the makeup of her yasa tribe is that she has really like she really seems to bond with the younger people and i wonder whether she would bond with a heather i mean heather i think really stepped into the motherly role at least that's the sense that i'm i got from uh sydney's exit press uh which by the way she bashed heather in she could not stand heather and uh yeah and uh i, I sort of wonder like maybe i mean tiffany spends her day around days around younger people all the time she's a teacher uh she really seems to bond with the yeses i think she really likes she, she sort of gets the their comedy and their sense of humor. I'm not sure that she necessarily would have gelled with Heather in the exact same way. So I sort of wonder what it was actually like. Yeah. One last thing I want to add before we wrap up is I, I have to say I'm a little happy to see Tiffany go right now because... I love Tiffany so much and it's hard for me to watch a player I love that I know is on the bottom that I don't see a viable path for them to go forward that sometimes for me in these situations I'd, I'd rather see them just go straight away uh rather than the nervousness of because I there's just players like Tiffany who I just you know love in a bigger way than just the game like I will remember Tiffany past season 41 and I am glad to see her go out right now versus have to just watch week after week where she's just like I don't even think it would be week after week. I think if anything, we would have gotten like one or two more weeks. Sometimes it's just nice to see them go out um, so you don't have to worry about them. I find that I've had times where I've had to worry about a player I love and I don't like that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that Tiffany is going to be an iconic jury member 
Tiffany has given some really great looks at Tribal Council in the past. She does the hair flip. She does the Tiffany smirk. She does the eye rolls. I think we're going to get it all and more on the jury. I can't wait to see her come in glammed up next episode. I think it's just going to be Oh, iconic. yeah. That'll be exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I also, I you know, that makes me think, is Ponderosa any different because of COVID? I wonder, like, see. what that I setup wonder. is. I wonder. I wonder if we're going to get Ponderosa clips. Um, um, I, I don't know. So drop the four, keep the one. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> okay. With that, we are going to wrap this thing up. Thank you for sending your voice memos so much. We love them. Uh, please, please. We've I've been getting a lot of questions, actually, because I have not been giving any details on how to send a voice memo. So very quickly, if you go to Instagram, find me at soda.pup. You can send me a message. I think you have to follow me in order to send a message. Please do not feel obligated to continue following me if you just want to get the message in. Um, I will not be offended. Uh, but go there. You can hit the microphone button when in the message bar on Instagram to record a voice memo. It will limit you to one minute, but if you have a longer thought, you can break it up into multiple voice memos. I don't mind. Uh, otherwise, you can record a voice note on your phone and email it to me. Just message me on Instagram to get my email address and uh and we'll sort you out and get you on the podcast uh so that is how you do it i've gotten a lot of questions about that so i just want to be clear and we love to hear them try to get them in before thursday morning and we can put them on next week's podcast also two quick things one you can also put your question in written form if you would prefer not to leave a voice memo so just write it out and send it to sean at the same um, instagram handle also just just to note to people you can feel free to leave us voice memos or written questions that are not pertaining to season 41 we will be doing a mailbag episode closer to the holidays and so we would be happy just for general questions and or general thoughts about survivor seasons one through 40. yeah or specific questions you want to talk about yeah, the more specific, something that happened the in Vanuatu episode nine? I'll talk about it. We will rewatch it and then talk about it. Like <laughs> yeah. we are very, very here. The more specific you get, the 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 more we will go in. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that is uh, my lesson for the day. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss our upcoming recaps and iconic interviews that we have lined up for you. We've got some really exciting ones as we keep teasing, but they are coming very soon. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed. Give us a rating if you feel so inclined on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about us. In the meantime, we will see you again next week. Bye. Drop the four, keep the one. Bye.